right. Amen, man. What a great morning already. Uh, God is uh, such a great God. He's worth. He's worthy of our praise. Amen. Uh, he is such a loving Father. We're going to talk more about that today. Uh, we're, uh, we're we're closing out our series, uh, instructions included, and we're going to end it today. And I know some of you guys are waiting, like, wait a minute, there's there's ten. You know, we're on nine today. We're going to cover both. And uh, so we're doing that because next weekend we have the weekend. And uh, it's uh, something for our students. It's uh, kind of like a D-Now type thing, kicking off the, the new school year. And uh, parents, let me just say, if you don't have your children or your students involved in that, you need to uh, make sure that you, uh, you get them signed up and get them involved and engaged in that. And for, we, for us as a church, we need to be praying for God to do something special uh, with the students this week. I mean, let it be something powerful in their lives, something like changing, preparing them for the, uh, the year ahead. And there's just a lot going on this week. I mean, kids are going back to school. There's a lot going on. And then Wednesday night, we have Saran Stacy, who is going to be here speaking. And I want to ask you guys, if you will, to make sure you're here. But not just that. Bring somebody with you that needs to hear a message of hope and needs to hear a message of encouragement. And we've all got plenty of friends who need to hear hope. And so that's going to be Wednesday night, 630, if you will, bring somebody uh, to be with you and uh, bring somebody here to hear that message. And just find whatever the connection may be. Maybe they like football. Tell them to come hear what he's got to say. Maybe they've gone through a tragedy. Tell them to come here hope uh, on Wednesday night. So anyway, so today we're going to try to hit two of the commandments, the last two today. So if you've got your outline, you can kind of take it out kind of follow along. And so the first one here says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Talking about lying today. And so you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You should not give, no, should, you should not give false testimony against your neighbor, Exodus 20, verse 16. And we know that in this age, in this culture, there's plenty of lies being told. They're all around us. And so... Look at what this passage says. I love what Isaiah 59, 12 through 15 says. It says, For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, uh, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived, so justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. So there's a lot of truth in that passage right there. It is God's Word. And so the thing that we see all around us is there are lies that are being told that our, our, our nation, our country, our people just have eaten up. You know, Satan has, has done everything he can to lie to us. Uh, they're, they're, look at this next passage here. Satan himself is the father of false witness. Jesus speaking to the unsaved Pharisees. These are religious people. So Satan, he, he's been a liar from the beginning. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out, all, carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so here we see Jesus speaking to the religious leaders who were unsaved. They were religious but, man, they didn't know Christ. They didn't know the power of God. They didn't know the, the forgiveness of God or the loving God that we see in Scripture. So here's what I would just say. Most of us in this room know that in our nation right now, man, there is a constant barrage and an attack on one another. And even like yesterday, many of you guys saw where there were 20 people that were killed in El Paso because of the lies of the evil one that people have bought into that we hate one another. And we're, it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're not my color, I hate you. If, you're not, if you don't think like my political party, I hate you. 
If you don't, if you don't agree with what I think, I hate you. That's, that's Satan's lies, and so many of us have bought into it. And so you've got people that are out there that are literally murderous, taking people's lives because they hate opposition. Someone has opposed what they believe, and we've got to be willing to say, you know, God, that's a lie from, from Satan, and it is. And so much of, the, of the, our country has embraced this lie that if you oppose me, I hate you. Jesus said you're to love one another. He says, I've loved you. And so therefore, go and love one another. Forgive one another. Build bridges into communities and, and, and relationships. And so just because someone thinks differently than us, that we want to kill them or take their life, that's a lie from the evil one. And so here's the thing. This morning, I got here this morning, and in Ohio, there was another shooting. Nine people lost their life because of hate, anger, and, and, and the lies of the evil one. And so I want us to take a minute this morning and pray for, number one, us as a church, that we would quit believing and, and, and even giving ear to the lies of the evil one. But we say, God, give us a heart to love people, to love our community, and to love all people as you love them, to see them as you see them, and to love them as you love them. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. And God, I do. I pray for our nation. Lord, I, I pray that you would bring healing. And God, we know that the only way that healing is going to take place is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ changing hearts. Father, mending this brokenness that we all are battling. And so, Father, I pray that you would literally minister to our nation today as so many are grieving. Father, I pray for those families that have lost loved ones. God, I pray that your, pre- your peace and your presence and your power would be evident to them. God, I pray for the churches in those communities that are trying to be the church today. God, they're ministering to them. They're caring for the, the families that have been wounded, caring for the first responders who went in and had to deal with that. So, God, I pray that you would bless them and care for them. God, I pray that you begin to change hearts and change minds. God, too many have bought into the lies of the evil one. And so, Father, we don't, want to be, uh, we don't want to be a child of the evil one. God, we want to be a child of God who has love for all people. God, that you would allow us and teach us how to see people as you see them and to love them as you love them. And God, to be willing to forgive as you forgive. And so, God, help us to bring, have unity. The very prayer that we see in, G, in John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for unity. God, help us to be unified. And focused on what matters most, God, your agenda, God, your gospel, God, your glory. And so, Father, we just pray today for healing for our nation, healing for our communities, healing for our churches, and God, that we would focus on your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We see, again, Satan is the father of all lies. Isaiah, you know, is is written way back and is talking about there's just no place for truth. Truth has stumbled in the streets. And people have given their eye, they've given their ear to the evil one in his lies. And so Jesus, again, he's addressing, he's addressing the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, there's nobody in this room, I would hope, that would say, man, I want to be known as a child of the devil. I want to be known as a child of Satan. So, man, you guys are welcome to leave. I'm, I'm telling you right now. You guys can leave. won't bother me whatsoever. I pray that we want to be a child of of God. We want to be a child of the King. We want to be a child of truth. We want to be a child of holiness and, and humility. But we love people. We've got to care about people and love people. And so the word devil literally means slanderer. The word devil literally means sl- uh, slanderer. And so we go back to the Garden of Eden. And, and, and Satan, in the very beginning, Genesis chapter, uh, the very first couple of chapters, and, and I think it's Genesis chapter 3, he's accusing. He's slandering God's character. He's, he's, uh, he's telling, hey, why don't y'all try this fruit? And, they're like, and Eve is like, God has said that if we eat that, we will surely die. And he goes, you surely won't die. He's slandering God. He's slandering 
the one true God of the universe. And so he's attacking his character. And he said, hey, listen, you, God just knows that you'll be like him. And, and so it, he's working his, his evil right there in the very beginning. And, of course, Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, and they, they literally bring sin in. And we're all contaminated. Every one of us, we all are, are we're, we're, whenever we're born of Adam, man, we're born of sin. We have a sin nature. Everybody in this room, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all missed God's standard. So look at what Thomas says. So Jesus has already spoke to the religious leaders in John eight forty four. So look at what he says here in John 14. He's talking to Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, he goes, I am the way and the truth and the life. Satan is the father of all lies. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are people that will tell you, hey, man, there's all kinds of roads that lead to heaven. There's all kinds of ways to, to get to heaven and if you believe the Word of God and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life, you know there's no lie in Him. And for somebody else to say, hey, listen, there's other ways to God, here's the thing, you're attacking the very character of God Himself and you're slandering God, you're slandering His Son Jesus, and you're saying He's a liar. But Jesus said, I am the way. In other words, if you want to get to God, it comes through me. Thomas, you know that. You know He was probably going, Thomas, I've been around you. I've been telling you. I've been teaching you guys. You know, you know that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And, and a lot of times we, we get short-sighted or maybe we just kind of go like, all right, what are you talking about, Jesus? Where are you going? What do you mean? And, and so here's the thing. Thomas gets corrected and even rebuked there. So let's talk about lying. What are some forms of lying? Forms of lying, one, like I said, is slander. Slander. It starts in Genesis. We see it in Genesis 3, verse 4. Where literally, where the evil one is saying, surely you won't die. It's attacking the character of God. And so what we have a tendency to do is we do the same thing that Satan did. We begin to attack people's character. We don't know if it's true or not, but we have heard that somebody is doing whatever. and Or we just don't like that person. Or maybe they're kind of competing for the same thing that you want. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's somebody. You know, maybe it's whatever. And so what we do is we begin to slander them, attack their character... Tear them down, even though we don't know truth about them and we don't know certain things. And I've said this before, churches have a tendency to do this as well. We, we don't know what a church is teaching, and all of a sudden we'll begin to slander them. They're probably teaching watered-down gospel, or they're probably doing whatever. And I just say that we as a church ought to have the mentality, you know what, we're on the same page. You know, I don't, I don't view other churches as competition. If we're all going after the lost, you know what, that's what we, we're supposed to be about, then we're teammates. And we should always pray for God to bless other churches who preach the gospel, who preach the truth of God's word, who, who want to reach the unchurched, the unsaved, who want to see them discipled and become faithful followers. Then we ought to be their biggest prayer warriors and their biggest cheerleaders. There's no competition in the kingdom, but we're all on the same page. And so we ought to have that mentality. How do we, how do we literally reach as many as we possibly can with the life-changing message of the gospel? How do, we, how do we equip them and prepare them for the works of ministry? That's what we're taught in Scripture, right? And so that ought to be our mentality. So what we do is we have a tendency, we slander, we, we slander, we, we, we lie, and we'll tear at someone's character. We'll begin to run them down. And oftentimes we don't know all the facts, but we will say, hey, you know, you know this, this is what I think probably happened. If you don't know, then keep your mouth shut. If you don't know, then shut up. You know, and, and here's, you know, we often talk about gossip. You know, if you're not part of the, 
the answer and you're not part of the problem, then don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't stir it up. Hey, I got a prayer request. We need to be praying for such and such. Well, what happened? What, what do we need to be praying about? I mean, what do you know? And, and so all of a sudden it becomes a gossip session, so we have to be careful. So slander is one of the forms of lying. We, we slander, we attack people's character, and, and we tear them down. Here's another one is perjury. Perjury. There, maybe, maybe there's been a time whenever you had to go to court and, uh, you know, you walk in. They ask you to be a witness. Maybe you were a character witness. You know, maybe you saw something happen. Uh, maybe you were, you know, a, whatever the witness might have been. They, they get you up there and they say, hey, listen, if you go put your hand on the Bible, do you swear? In other words, you're going under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? And so there's times, and there's some of you in this room, maybe you're guilty of this. You get up there and you have a bias. You have a side of this case that you want to see win. And so you don't tell the complete truth or you don't tell the truth and you purge or you, you, do, you commit perjury and you lie under oath. Well, the thing is, is you may feel like, hey, well, you know what? I got by with it. I wanted to see this happen. Maybe it's hey, trying to get some kind of settlement in your favor. Maybe it's trying to help somebody else out. Maybe trying to keep somebody from getting the punishment or the justice that the system is saying that, hey, they will receive. So we, we lie. But this is what I would say to you. You may have fooled that judge. You may have fooled that jury. But one day, all of us will stand in front of the one true judge. And the God who knows everything. He knows everything in your heart. He knows if you're a liar. He knows if you've lied. I was telling somebody this past week, I think it was one of our interns, we were talking. And I was talking about how you know, it's so important that we keep our, our, our hearts humble. And we keep our hearts holy. And that that should be our, our, our goal as, as ministers of the gospel. That you know, We want to make sure that we're, we're holy and we're humble. And, and, and so I was sharing with him. I remember back whenever I was about 21 years of age and I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in. And I was living in sin. And I was asked to speak at a church. And I thought, well, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. And, and anyway, so I didn't prepare well. I didn't study well. I didn't do what I should have done to, right, to rightly divide the Word of God. And so whenever I get done... You know, this person said, hey, listen, you, you know, this is what the Scripture was talking about. And afterwards, I was like, I, you know, I really taught that wrong. I didn't teach it according to what God's Word was saying. You know why? Because I wasn't really in a good relationship with God. I didn't really spend a lot of time in prayer. I didn't ask God to give me, God, what do you want to say to your people? It was just, hey, I'll say something. So kind of like these Pharisees here, I was just being religious. I was just kind of going through the motions. I was just kind of doing what, what I felt like, you know, hey, would get me through and so what I did is, is I literally did a bad job of teaching God's Word and may have even taught it the wrong way. And so I was telling this young person, I said, here's the thing. I said, I'll stand before God and give an account of that one day. And I'll go ahead and tell you, that still bothers me. And so we have a, we have a, ten, we have a, a tendency to want to kind of go through the motions. Well, hey, I'll, I'll just kind of go through the motions. I'll just do the religious thing. But let me tell you, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He, he wants you to... He wants it to be about truth. Over and over we see that it's God's word, it's truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. God is all about truth. It's about transparency. It's about being open and honest and humble. So every time I think back to that message, me being out of God's will, going through the motions, it bothers me. Here's what I should have done. I should have said, hey, listen, I really don't need to be teaching today. I'm not where I need to be. I really don't need to be standing in front of God's people. I need to get my heart right. And I'm just telling you, there's some of you guys that you're going, going through the motions. 
You're just kind of doing what you know. Hey, this kind of looks Christian. This kind of looks like how I should be doing things. And you're kind of going through the motions. And some of you really need to come before God broken and repentant over your sin. And say, God, I want to ask you to forgive me for just going through the motions. I'm just being religious. God, I want to be, I want to be about truth. And so slander, perjury. And here's another one, spreading rumors. Spreading rumors. You might say, well, Mike, you know, isn't that kind of slander? Yeah, sure, it can be. Rumors is, you know, us, again, we're sharing stuff. That becomes gossip. And, and so we, we tend to share rumors. You've heard certain things. Now, you don't know if it's true or not, but you're going to still share with somebody what you've heard. But here's the thing. You become guilty of lying because what you're doing is you're sharing, you know, stuff that, is, again, attacking people's character. It may not be truth. And then you find out afterwards and you go, man, I was wrong. I thought this is what I was told. You know, I was spreading a rumor. Well, here's the thing. If you don't know if it's real, you don't know if it's true, if you don't have the facts, then don't spread it. You know, there was a, there was a lady, she didn't like the pastor of a church, and she didn't like him, and she began, she would run him down, and she spread a lot of rumors about him that were not untrue. And, and man, she had, a, she had a come to Jesus moment, and God just really rocked her world. And so she went in, she sat down with the pastor, and she said, Pastor, I want to apologize to you because I have a, I've, I've spread some rumors about you that are not true, and you know, and God has really convicted me, and I really feel like I'm, you know, uh, doing the right thing by coming to you. And it was not easy. I just want you to understand that. And he goes, I get that. And he said, I want you to know. He said, I forgive you. And she was like, well, thank you, Pastor. She goes, and I hope that we can work together moving forward. And really, you know, I want to be a part of the church. And I want to, I want to be on mission with what God has called us to do. He said, that's fine. He said, hey, listen, if you don't mind, I want you to do something for me. He says, just for me. And she was like, okay. And he said, if you don't mind, he said, I want you to take these feathers and it was a bag of feathers he said i want you to take them out on the street corner and just kind of cast them into the wind and she's like dude that's weird and he said if you don't mind and she was like okay he says she takes the feathers she's out on the street corner she's kind of looking around she's like i hope i don't get a ticket for littering and so she's slinging these feathers and she's like this is the weirdest thing in the world i knew he was weird and so she walks back in to the pastor and he goes he and she said pastor i've done it he goes i don't know what that was about he said, well, actually, you're not done. He said, I want you to go back and collect those feathers. And she goes, there's no way. They're everywhere. And he said, that's the way rumors are. Once we release them, we can't get them back. Once we have gossiped about somebody, can't get it back. And we can ask for forgiveness, but it's still already done its damage, and it's already affected and hurt people. And so I, I, he said, I just want you to understand, I do forgive you, but what you have said has hurt my family. It has hurt my wife. It has hurt my church. It's hurt my friends. It's hurt me. He said, but I do forgive you. And so we have a tendency sometimes to lie, but we just think, hey, this is what I've heard, and that's okay. But God says that we're not to spread rumors. That's lying. That's, a, that's bearing a false witness. You know, a lot of times we think about bearing a false witness, we're thinking about maybe, hey, it's just what you do whenever you're on trial or, you know, you're on the witness stand. No, it's how you live, because we are supposed to live as what? witnesses of jesus christ we're supposed to live as witnesses of his grace we're supposed to live as witnesses of his mercy and so we're always on the witness stand we're always on the witness stand in how we live here's the next one there is flattery flattery you know that sounds good doesn't it how many guys like to be around an encourager man i do something's wrong with you if you don't man if you're around an encourager an encourager Makes you feel like a million dollars. I mean, hey, you're doing a great job. And I just want you to know, I, man, I love you. I appreciate you. And, uh, you know, if there's ever anything I can do, let me know. And you get around certain people that are encouraging and have the gift of encouragement. You, whenever they walk off, you go, you know what? I love that guy. I mean, he is awesome. Or I love that lady. I mean, she is so encouraging. 
and, and you think of ways to bump into them again so maybe you can get another splash of encouragement, right? I mean, that's, that's the people we like to have in our life. And there are some people who have the gift of discouragement. Any of you guys have the gift of discouragement? Nobody wants that gift, but some of you got it, I'm just telling you. you know, and, uh, and so what happens is we get around those people, and, man, they, they tear you down, they're negative, and, man, you can't wait to get away from them. Or either when you see them coming, you go like, here they come, you know. God, I like you're talking to me so that maybe they won't. They won't come talk to me. And, and so the thing is, is encouragement is positive. Encouragement builds up. The Bible tells us to encourage one another and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So we are, that is a command of God that we are to encourage one another. We're to say, hey, listen, you're doing a good job. And do, it, you know, and do, do things that make a difference. But flattery, and look at this. You might want to write this down. Flattery, it neither encourages or honors. It's a way of using or manipulating people. You might say, well, flattery, you know, I thought that was a pot. No, flattery is lying. It's manipulation. So flattery, it neither encourages or honors. It's a way of using and manipulating people. And some of y'all, y'all know how that works. You're you're trying to manipulate someone by saying nice things about them, hoping they'll give you a good deal. You go in, hey, if I'm super friendly to this uh, clerk here, maybe they'll cut me a deal. If I go in, I'm really friendly to this salesman, maybe he'll, he'll, you know, he'll like me and he'll give me a better deal than if I just came in and was, you know, was, wasn't, wasn't so flattering. And so, and I, I look around y'all's face and I can tell y'all know what I'm talking about. There's times that you have tried to manipulate people with flattery and, and you're trying to leverage something for your benefit. And, and maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some of you guys in here are guilty of this, you know, you, uh. You tell your wife, hey, she looks good. She really doesn't look that good that night, but you're just saying it because maybe you've got alternative motives. I don't know. Let me, I'll, I'll say this to you ladies. There are times, you know, that we try to manipulate our husbands. You try to do that. You, you, hey, I'll say things that flatter. God wants you to encourage. And I'll, I'll just say this. Let me say this to the ladies in the room. If you really want your, your husband to kind of step it up in some areas, encouragement is like pouring jet fuel on something. I heard a guy the other day. He said, man, he said, when my wife says thank you, or encouragement, he, man, I'll run through a brick wall. He said, I want to. But too often, what, 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 what are you known for or what are wives known for sometimes is nagging. Nagging is not encouraging. You say, well, I'm trying to get him to do something. Well, there's a different way to go about it. But I'm just saying, encouraging is like throwing jet fuel on something. And oftentimes men respond to that. Hey, I thank you. Hey, I appreciate what you do. I appreciate all the work that you put in. I appreciate what you do around the house rather than what you don't do. So we have a tendency to focus on the negative you know, and we focus on what they're not doing. And I, moms and dads, I would say the same thing. With our children, do we encourage them with what we see them doing right? Or do we always focus on what they do wrong? So let's focus on what they do right. And, and, and so, so here, here's the thing is, are we encouraging or are we just flattering? And so flattery, again, it neither encourages or honors. And it is a way of using or manipulating people. So do you just, do you just try to manipulate people? Again, for your gain. For what you can get out of something. So let's, let's, we'll hit these real quick. The truth is better. And so the truth is always the best. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. He, Jesus is the best that God had to give, right? We look back in Scripture and we see that, you know, God saw that man was broken. He saw that we were needy. I'm a broken vessel. You know, that's the great thing about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments reveal our need for a Savior. It, you know, we don't, none of us in this room will ever be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. But they reveal how broken we are and our need for a Savior. So this divine standard that we see in the Ten Commandments 
is not about us following all of those and lining up with them so that God will one day hopefully let me in. But God has said, hey, listen, I have told you these things that you might know that you have salvation. Not that you have to hope that you get into heaven, but you can know that you're in right standing with God because of what His Son Jesus Christ has done. And so we see the Ten Commandments, we realize, you know what, I'm a liar. Every person in this room has lied at some point. You lied on your taxes, you lied to your mom and your dad, you lied to somebody, I promise you. We've all blown it. And so these Ten Commandments reveal our need for a Savior. We're broken. And this last one here, this, this next one we're fixing to hit, deals with our heart and our desires and our attitudes. But look at this. The truth is better. It is better to tell the truth that hurts than heals than to tell a lie that comforts than kills. It is better to tell the truth that hurts than heals than to tell a lie that comforts than kills. Hurts than heals. Think about that. There are times that we need to speak the truth into people's life. Now, we all need to learn tact. We need to try to think about how we say things. Tone is important. You know, and and when you say certain things. How you say certain things. You know, and and so our tone is important. Our, Our tact is important. But here's the thing. We ought to have people in our life that we love enough that we speak the truth into them. Maybe, maybe you got a friend that you see how he treats his wife, and you say, hey, listen, man, I love you, but, dude, you've got to talk to your wife in a way that honors her. You're tearing her down. Maybe, maybe a lady comes up to you and says, hey, listen, I've seen how you embarrass your husband. You dress him down in front of people, and the one thing that a man needs is respect, and you just you, you knock his legs out from under him every time you're in front of your friends. And here's the thing, that hurts. And you go, I don't do that. So yes, you do. And so you love them enough to speak truth in their life that hurts, but it brings healing. Anybody here like constructive criticism? Anybody? You should. Here's the thing. Two or three days later, it's better, right? Now, you know, whenever you get, to, like when I get done teaching, I always say this. You know, I always ask Lori, and I'll ask Daniel and Karen and some of the staff. I'll say, hey, listen, guys, any feedback on the message? And, uh, and, and the rest of the guys are not as bold as my wife, but my wife is like, yeah, it was all right. And I'm like, what do you mean by all right? She goes, it was good. And uh, she goes, you know, there was this one section that was kind of, wasn't real clear. Maybe, you, you know, stuttered or stumbled, stumbled around or whatever. I said, I do that all the time. You know, so I get defensive. Y'all do that? Someone gives constructive criticism and you kind of go on the defense. Like, well, let's say you do it, you know, type deal. That, that's what we do, right? And, and so, so we have a tendency to get defensive. But if someone's trying to help you, we should be willing to receive that. And, and, and so... Look at it again. It says it's better to tell the truth that hurts than heals, helps, than to tell a lie that comforts than kills. And I joke about this all the time, but American Idol is, is the, the one thing that always pops out in my mind where these kids get up on there and they're singing, and they can't sing. I mean, they're horrible. It's embarrassing. And you're sitting there going, man, somebody didn't love them. Their mom and daddy should have told them, said, then you can't carry a tune in a tin bucket. Dude. I mean, you don't need to even try. Don't do this to our family, please. You know, or something along those lines. And, and you might say, Mike, that's mean. Well, it's better than lying to them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the truth might help them. If, if not, they may go in there and become a national you know, joke or whatever, and they're going to struggle the rest of their life. If you love them enough, tell them the truth in a tactful way, in a kind way. But we all need constructive criticism. Every week we do this as a staff. We sit down and we talk, hey, what are the wins and follow-ups from this past week? What are the wins? What are we doing that has got us on target to, you know, to fulfill the mission that God has given us as a church? You know, what are the things we've done a really good job of? What are the things that we need to work on? And, you know, so the wins, we celebrate the wins, and we, then we work on follow-ups. 
And those follow, hey, we didn't do a good job with this. We didn't do a good job with that. Last week, Pastor, uh, Phil Wilson was here. He was my, he's one of my mentors. He was in the first service. And so I, I asked Phil, I said, hey, man, if you don't mind, give me some feedback on how we've done as a church. And, you know, did we make you feel welcome? Because a lot of people didn't know who he was. And so I've asked him, hey, I want feedback on it. And I want to hear it. Now, is it going to hurt my feelings when he says some of it? Yes, probably will. You know what I'm saying? I'll go like, man, we didn't do that bad. But if that's the way he feels, then I need to take it into consideration, right? And so we always are asking those questions. Hey, what are we doing good? What do we need to work on? How do we, how do, we do the best that we can do when it comes to the mission that God has given us? All right, so let's look at the next one there. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. There's a lot of pastors that need to hear that statement. And let me just say this. Every pastor I know wants to be liked. Every pastor wants to have a crowd and a congregation. And there are times, and the Scripture talks about that oftentimes, there will be a time when people just want to have their ears tickled. But one of the things that I think that we as pastors need to have the mentality is, you know what, we want to teach the truth of God's Word. We want to present the gospel of peace to all those who need to hear this good news. And we've got to be willing to say, you know what, even though it may not be popular, we're going to teach God's word. Even though it may be not what people are necessarily wanting to hear, but it is what they need to hear. And I'm just telling you, it would be real easy to want to say, you know what, I'm not going to do any of these hard subjects because that might offend someone. The gospel is offensive. The Bible is offensive. But we, we have to have that mentality. We go, you know what? I would rather be hated for the truth than to be loved because of, I'm telling lies. And for me to sit here and say, hey, listen, hey, everybody gets into heaven, that's a lie. Hey, all roads lead to heaven, that's a lie. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. There's only one way there. It's through Christ and no other way. And, and so too often, like I said, what we do is we want people to like us and we compromise truth. Because we want people to like us. And what we've got to be willing to do, and it's not just for pastors, but I'll just say this. Pastors need to know that more than anybody, but I'll just say this to all of us as well. We need to love people enough to speak the truth in a tactful, loving way. Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. And not just say, hey, well, listen, I don't want them to dislike me. But if you love them, you'll speak the truth. And, and so it is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is this last one. It is better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with the multitude. It is better to be to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with the multitude. Let me just say this to some of our teenagers and our young people that are in the room. There's oftentimes there's a lot of pressure from our peers to do certain things that we have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna stand strong. And man, it's hard sometimes to stand strong when all of your peers, all of your friends are doing something that you know is wrong. If you know it's wrong and you're sitting there going, man, hey, this is wrong, walk away. Take a stand. And I know it's easy. Hey, Pastor Mike, that's easy for you to say. You're not, you're not there. I get that. And I say the same thing to the moms and dads in the room and every adult in this room. There's going to be times you'll be in a conversation that, you know, hey, this is wrong. You've got to be willing to take a stand and walk away. Or either just take a stand and say, guys, this is wrong. We're attacking someone's character. We're, telling, we're, we're sharing gossip. We can't be a part of this. You might, you might think, well, I don't want to think I'm a holy roller. What's wrong with being holy? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, got to take a stand. And, and I, 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 I say this because there are times when there's that mob effect to where everybody's doing it. You don't want to be left out. But God's Word says it's better to stand on the truth 
than it is to follow everyone else. The, the, you know, the pathway to heaven, it says it's narrow. Broad is the path that leads to hell, leads to destruction. But narrow is that path that leads to Christ. And so the truth is better in all these ways. It's better to tell the truth than, that hurts and heals than to lie than a lie that comforts to kill, uh, comforts then kills. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with a multitude. And you might think, all right, I get that. So the thing is, is will I speak the truth moving forward? When you get caught in a, a lie, what does it usually lead to? Another lie. So the best thing we can do is confess it and say, God, I have lied. God, I ask you to forgive me. And here's the thing, moving into this next, this last uh, Ten Commandment here, it deals with the heart. All of this starts with the heart. All of it. If, if you're a liar, it's because of your heart. So let's dig. All right, so it says, the, the Ten Commandment here, you, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 17. So what does it mean to covet? So a lot of times you go, what does that mean, covet? Covet is to long after or try to gain something. That you wish for it, you want it, you long for it. I mean, it's like a craving within you that you just, I mean, you think about it a lot. You think about it all the time, and you wish that something would happen to somebody else so that you could get what they have. That's coveting. And and so look at what we we see here. Lucifer coveted the very throne of God. Lucifer, the evil one, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. Whenever he was literally an angel, he was there in heaven. Said he he, He led the worship there. Think about that. Led the worship in heaven. But he desired what was not his. And look at what it says in Isaiah 14. It says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High in verse 14. So Satan himself, who we, we say literally has wrecked and, and ruined and has attacked, and he's on, the, he's on the attack right now in our nation, is literally doing everything he can to lie to people, to get them to hate one another, to where there's no unity. To say, hey, listen, man, you need to want what they've got. That's, that's his job. He's a liar. And so he desired what God had. And so if you're a child, let me just say, if you're a child of God, you want blessings in other people's lives. But if you're a child of the evil one, you want the blessings in other people's lives. You might go, gosh, Mike, that sounds harsh. Well, let, let's kind of dig a little bit. The Tenth Commandment deals with the heart, our attitude in our desires. So this 10th commandment, like they've all dealt with our, our heart in some way, but the, the first four deal with our relationship with God. How do we, how do we honor Him? And how do we worship Him? And then the rest of them deal with our attitudes and our relationships with the people around us. But this one deals with the heart on a deeper level because it deals with the heart, our attitude, you know, how do we, how do we look at people? How do we deal with people? And our desires, these evil, wicked desires that dwell within us. And so look at this statement here. It says, possessions and poor attitudes Toward money wreck more marriages than adultery. Like, what, what, is, what has that got to do with anything, Mike? Possessions and poor attitudes towards money wreck more marriages than adultery. There's three things that lead to most divorces and, and marriages that are wrecked. One is going to be uh, money. Finances is always right there at the top of the heap. Hey, the finances aren't there. There's stress involved in the relationship. The other one would be communication. You know, hey, we're not communicating. Well, if you're not communicating, then I can promise you your finances are going to be jacked up. And then the other one is a lack of intimacy. And a lack of intimacy comes from, number one, the stress of finances. Number two, the lack of communication. And then all of a sudden there's no intimacy. And all of a sudden you say, hey, we don't, we don't love each other anymore. 
What's love got to do with it? You're in a covenant relationship. You're committed to love one another, be there for one another through thick and thin, good times and bad, sickness and in health, whatever. And so what happens is we get focused on, hey, there's not enough finances, or she's stressing me out, or he's stressing me out, you know, and then you quit communicating because you're mad at each other, and then you withhold intimacy, which goes back to, again, stealing from one another, which is what we covered last week, and we rob each other of the intimacy that God has said, hey, this is in marriage. And then here's the thing, you start looking somewhere else. And so what happens is finances, wanting possessions, not being satisfied, not being content, is what wrecks most marriages. You might, what? You start coveting. Well, I wish my wife would be like his wife. I wish my husband would be like you know, her husband. And we begin to covet what someone else has. And so this whole desire, this whole issue of the heart to possessions and poor attitudes towards money wreck more marriages than adultery. Look at the next one there. It says, breaking the Ten Commandments is only a symptom. The real issue is our hearts. The Ten Commandments, like I said, reveal our need. They, re- they reveal our need. My, my heart is corrupt. You know, all I have to do is look back and, you know, hey, I'm a liar. Man, I, you know, I, there's so many things that I have done in these Ten Commandments that I have broken. And so that standard reveals my need for a Savior. And so whenever I look at that, I go, you know what? All right, the Ten Commandments, the breaking of the Ten Commandments is a symptom of a deeper issue. Too often, even in marriage counseling or whatever, what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll complain about symptoms, but we don't dig down to the deeper issue at your heart. You know, in, in, a, in a physical situation, a lot of times, you know, we'll be looking at symptoms. Hey, what are the symptoms? they got fever. they got this. All right, what are those symptoms indicating there's a deeper issue? Maybe there's an infection or whatever. And so what we do is we'll get focused on the symptoms in our life, and we don't deal with the deeper issue. It's the heart. God is, he's interested in your heart. He's interested in, hey, where is he in relation to your heart? It's not about the symptoms. God is like, hey, listen, I know the sin. I see it. I know the problems. I see that. What are you going to do about your heart? What are you going to do with your heart? And so breaking the Ten Commandments is only a symptom. The real issue is right here. It's in the core of who I am. Look at what Mark 17, 21 through 23 says, From within, our, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They're what defile you. And so it's from within. And so I can go back and, you know, I was born, you know, I grew up, you know, nobody had to teach me how to be bad. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. Nobody had to teach me how to lie. Nobody had to teach me how to do any of that. It comes natural because of Adam and Eve back in the garden they chose sin. And here's the thing. We're all an offspring of that. I don't know if you guys realize that. No matter what color we are in this room, we all come from Adam and Eve. We're all kin. Y'all get that? Doesn't matter what political party you're in. We all come from Adam and Eve. And because of that sin nature, we realize, man, my heart is corrupt. And what we do is we hate people instead of hating the lies that people believe. And so many of us, we hate Someone who disagrees with us whenever we should be hating the lies that this evil one has taught them and told them. Hate the lies. Love the people. And so whenever we look at this again, it goes, you know what? It's my heart. So if you're an adulterer, it's because adultery is in your heart. If, if, you're, if you have wickedness, it's because you have a wicked heart. And so whatever the sin may be that you struggle with, whatever the symptom may be, it's because of your heart. He said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new name. I'll literally write your name in a Lamb's book of life in my blood. 
And so he will not only heal this broken heart, he will give you a new heart. And he'll, 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 he will teach you how to see people as he sees them, how to love people as he loves them. And here's the thing. He'll give you a different focus in life. And it won't be on stuff. It'll be on the kingdom of God. It says here it's not necessarily wrong to desire things and own things. The real question is do they own you? Nothing wrong with owning things. Nothing wrong with desiring certain things. You know, there's, there's times you may desire certain things so that you can make a difference, so you can do more ministry, so that you can bless more people. You know, we look back in Scripture, some of the wealthiest people in the history of the world were leaders in the Bible. And so God will bless you with things. But what we do is we become a conduit, become a, a channel of blessing. What we do is we bless others. We literally say, God, you know, I want you to bless me so that I can bless others. God, I want you to give me more so that I can give more. God, I, I want to be a part of what you're doing here. And, and so there's nothing wrong with owning things. But too often what we do is those things own us. Our stuff, we're more worried about it than we are about Him. We're more worried about what we can gain rather than what we can give. And so look at what it says here. It says, James 1.17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. In other words, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the thing. He loves you guys. He wants to bless you guys. He is a loving Father. And, and, and so God wants to bless us. And so he's a loving father. I've got three boys. I've got Hunter, Zach, and Christian. I love them. And I want to bless them. And there's things I want to just give them. I just want, there's experiences I want them to have. Why? Because I love them. And I want them to enjoy life. I want them to have abundant life. Mom and Dad, don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want them to enjoy life? Don't you want them to be successful? Don't you want to bless them? And listen, we're broken. And so our loving Heavenly Father wants us to be a blessing. He wants us to experience things. He wants us to have things. One of the coolest things, we've got a, we've got a, a young man uh, or, or a couple in our, our church, they, they were in the first service, and his son, uh, Alan, dove into the river a few weeks ago or a couple months ago and broke his neck. And anyway, he, he's, you know, the doctor told him he had about a 5% chance of ever walking again. And so Jerry and his, you know, his, his family and his wife and them, they've been there you know, caring for Alan and taking care of him. And he walked to him this morning. He said, man, Pastor, i got some good news. He said, Alan moved his toe this week. I said, man, that's awesome. That's a miracle, dude. I mean, so don't you know that Alan, I mean, that Jerry wants Alan to have the ability to walk again? I mean, wouldn't every one of you want that for your child to be able to walk again? And so don't you know God wants that more than Jerry wants that? That God wants to use Alan to, to maybe share his, his, his story, to be able to tell somebody about what God has done in his life? And so God is a loving Father. He is a giving Father. I mean, I want to give to my kids. I want to bless them. Like I said, I, and, and I, I think we, sometimes we feel like God's against us. God is not against you. He's against the sin in your life. He's against the things that have become a God in your life, the idolatry. He's against those things. But man, He's for you. He wants to bless you. And so look at this here, 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. It says, yet true godliness comes with, with contentment itself is great wealth. If you want your kids to be wealthy, this is where you ought to go. Yet true godliness with contentment is, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let us be satisfied. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation, are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money, money's not bad. Money's just a tool. It's just, it's just, a, it's just something that is used to purchase things. For the love of money, that's the problem. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Notice that again, the true faith. Truth again. And so what happens is a lot of times we just, we love stuff, we love money, and it, it becomes the drive in everything that we do. You know, I, I said this earlier, oftentimes we covet to the point that we hope something happens to someone so we can get their stuff. There's some of you in this room, you've got a rich uncle, and you, you, you might be praying for the day he dies. That's terrible. But if you were honest, you might be saying, hey man, when he leaves or when he dies, I hope he dies before I do, type mentality. That's, you're coveting what is his, and here's the thing, he may not leave you anything. Maybe your mom and your dad. Maybe your mom and dad, you think, hey, well, mom and dad's got some money. Whenever they go, well, you know what? They may give it to somebody else. They may give it to the church for the kingdom. You never know. You know what I'm saying? And so here's what we're, we're coveting. We're wanting what someone else has. Let me give you five steps to satisfaction, and then we'll be done. Five steps to satisfaction. I want to give your heart to Christ. If, if you want to learn to be satisfied, give your heart to Christ. We talked about it. We've all got you know, th- this God-shaped void within us. Some of you, you're, you've got this void. You just you don't feel complete, so you're trying everything. Some of you've been trying relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. Some of you've been trying stuff. Well, you know, if I get a new car, if I get a new job, if I get a new house, you know, whatever it might be. And so you're constantly trying. And you think, man, I get there, and then you get buyer's regret and go like, why did I buy this? I don't really like it. It didn't make me feel the way I thought it was going to make me feel. So you're trying, trying, trying to find something to fill that void. Let me just tell you, the only thing that's going to fill it's God. There's a God-shaped void in every one of us. Man, at the age of 19, I realized, you know what? I was missing something. It was Jesus. I had religion. I even knew scriptures. I'd gone to church most of my life in some form or fashion, but mainly for wrong reasons. But at the age of 19, I realized, you know what? I needed Jesus Christ in my life. And you know what I did? I gave him my heart. When I gave him my heart, he gave me peace. And so when we give, when we give Christ our heart, when we give Jesus our heart, It begins a process of us realizing, you know what, the things of this world won't last forever, but He will. The peace of God that passes understanding, you know, it lasts forever. You know, me being able to know that I'm in right standing with with a God who says, hey, listen, whom, whom I hold in my hand, no one can snatch away. I'm His child for life. And, and so the thing is, is whenever I give Jesus my heart, it, it, it begins to be, start this process of me going, you know what, I am satisfied in Christ. I am content. With who I am. I, I was driving down the road yesterday with my, my son. And uh, I said, you know what, man, I am blessed. I, 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 there's so many ways when I begin to think about what God has done in my life. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. He has used me. You know, He has taken me places. I've been able to go to Africa and Brazil and places like that to share the gospel and to teach pastors. And I'm going, man, I am a blessed man. But what we have a tendency to do is we focus on what we don't have and we begin to covet what someone else has. But whenever we begin to count the blessings, we realize, you know what, God, you've changed my heart. You've saved me. Look at the second one there. We cultivate an a- attitude of gratitude. Five steps to satisfaction. Number one, give your heart to Christ. It starts there, and it has to start there. The second one is cultivate an attitude of gratitude, that we become thankful, and we count our blessings. It's like the old song, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will amaze you what God has done. And so maybe today you just start going, you know, God, let me sit back and count all the blessings you, you, you have blessed me with. You know, I, I, I just this past week, like I said, I just started thinking about the friends that he's put in my life. My wife. My children. 
You know, even my mother-in-law and father-in-law. How many of you guys can say that, huh? You know, but I'm just saying, I consider them a blessing in my life. And, and so what we do is we, we begin to cultivate this attitude of gratitude, uh, or this, you know, this, this mentality that, you know what, God, you have blessed me. And, and when I say cultivate, you think about planting something. If you're going to cultivate, you're, you're preparing the soil. How do you prepare the soil? You give your heart to Jesus. How do you get this heart right? You give your heart to Jesus. So therefore, you begin to cultivate that soil. Then you, you bring the right elements there. And then all of a sudden, God begins to produce a harvest. And so what we have to do is we have to say, God, help me get my heart right. Some of you today, you need to confess the sin of coveting. You need to confess the sin of lying or any other sin there might be. And say, God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to renew me, God. I, I want to recommit fresh and new to you today, my life. Because, God, I have, I have lost sight of what you say is truth, and I have begun to believe the lies of this world. So God, will you forgive me? So you cultivate by letting God do some work in your heart. And then here's the third one. Learn to love. Every one of us in this room, we need to learn to love people. Because here's the thing. If you love someone, then you want them to be blessed. If you learn to love people, you're not envious of them, and you're not jealous of them, but you go, God, I want you to bless them. And so you pray for blessings in their life. You pray for them to get the promotion, but you learn to love people. Imagine this. You work for your company, and, and there's a promotion that's available. But instead of going, hey, I hope I beat out Joe, or I hope I beat out whoever, you go, God, I want you to put the right person in that seat. I want you to bless our company so that we can be more impactful, God, and we can do a better job. And so you pray, and then Joe gets the job. Are you envious? Are you go, God... You got the right person there. God, you bless him. And so whenever you love people, it makes it easier to pray God's blessings over them. But if you don't, if you hate people, it, in other words, you believe the lie of the evil one, then you begin to hate people and you're envious of them and you're jealous of them and you want ill to be of them. But if you love people, it changes everything. Number four, know who you are. Know who you are. I think this is important because too often... Man, we're searching. We don't know who we are. We're always trying to find something to make us feel better about ourselves. We're always trying to find something. We don't know who we are. But I think for every Christian in this room, we ought to understand this. We are a child of the King. I am born again. I have been redeemed. I am a vessel of hope for the world. I am a witness for Christ. I'm always on the witness stand. And so when we begin to understand who we are... We begin to realize, you know what? I am saved. I'm a child of the King. I have a holy inheritance. I will one day stand in, in literally the streets of gold and I will worship the one true King. I'll literally sing holy, holy, holy with the angels one day. I am His child. I am to love people the way that He loves people. I am to see people the way He sees people. And whenever you begin to do that, it begins to change how you view people. And so when we know who we are, our focus becomes on what God wants rather than what we want. And then look at the last one here. Learn to give. Learn to give. Number five, learn to give. There's nothing that destroys the coveting spirit like giving. Like giving. You know, last week I taught on stealing. You know, in, in, in Malachi it talks about, you know, don't rob God. Don't rob God, rob God of his tithe. You know, and uh, you know, he says he will literally throw open the floodgates of heaven if we will just return his tithe. And I know there's a lot of people that, like I said, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, Mike, I get that. And I understand that's what Scripture says, but I can't afford the tithe. You know, and so what we're doing is we're robbing God of his, of his tithe, the, the first 10%. I'm 
I'm not talking about giving yet. See, the, the, the tithe is his. I, I, joked, I taught on tithe, I mean, I taught, taught on stealing last week, and we had a low offering. And, and somebody said, well, it was probably back to school, and everybody's buying clothes. I said, you do that out of your money, not his money. Does that make sense? So in other words, you say, well, it was last, you know, it was last weekend, everybody's gone to the beach, it's uh, school starting, they've got to buy school, you know, shoes and school supplies. That comes out of your 90%, not his 10%. But we'll justify it. But here's the thing is, that's his, that's, that's not mine. So anything that I want to give is anything above that 10%. And so I had cut some yards on the side, me and my son, and so I was like, you know what, I, I don't think I tithe on that. So I, I came in Monday, hey, say, listen, I, I left this in the car. I want to make sure it gets in because I don't want the church to be penalized for my sin. I said, so we're going to make sure, hey, that we're good on that. Does that make sense? So, so here's the thing. We've got to be willing to say, God, I want to give. I don't want to just tithe. Tithe should be where we start. And I know it's always that mentality, Mike, you don't understand. I don't. I probably don't, but God does. But I'm just saying we've got to have that mentality. God, help me have a giving mentality. Not always on the want. Not always on the, hey, take. But God, I want to give. And I want to give to the kingdom. I want to give to people. I had someone walk up to me earlier and say, hey, listen, we were able to gather supplies for Pastor Dwayne and his church, and we want to bless them. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. And I'm just telling you, there's nothing like giving. And moms and dads, teach your children to give, to bless somebody in some way, some form, some fashion. You begin to cultivate that attitude of gratitude and you model for them, and you teach them, hey, it's awesome to give. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive Him. But what we have to, have to be willing to do is say, listen, let's give and see what God can do. You're not giving to get, but you can't outgive Him. These last ones, and we're done. Next steps for me today, I've already covered this one. Give my heart to Jesus Christ. The most important decision you could ever make is to give your heart to Christ. Because your heart changes everything. It changes your destination. It changes where you'll spend eternity. It changes how you live on this earth. It changes how you treat people. It changes how you treat your wife. It changes how you treat your husband. It changes how you raise your kids. It changes how you treat your neighbors. Everything rises and falls with our relationship with Christ. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the Holy God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and died for you, and He died for me. And here's the thing. If I really believe that to be true, then here's the thing. I want everybody that I know, whether they agree with me or disagree with me, I want them to know Christ. And I want them to know what it means to have eternal life. Because I should love them the way that Christ loved me. And I should forgive them the way that Christ has forgiven me. And so, the next one there says, apply the five steps of satisfaction. It's real easy to hear something and go, man, that's good, but it's the application. Hearing the Word of God is life-changing. The application of God's Word changes your destination. It changes how you live. It changes everything. And then the last one, it says, sign up for the next uh, Step 1 membership class. That's going to be next Sunday. You sign up for that. You might say, well, Mike, what's that got to do with anything? Maybe you just say, you know what? Hey, I'm tired of sitting here being on the taking side of things. I want to be a part of the church, and I want to be on the giving side of things. I want to be investing in this community. I want to be sharing my faith in this community. I want to be on mission with this church. And so instead of just being on the receiving end, you say, hey, listen, I want to be on the giving side of that. So I think whenever we line those things up, and we say, you know what, God? I want to be satisfied. I want to be content with where you want me to be. But God, I want you to give me goals and a mission 
and a vision to live in such a way that I'm on your agenda, not mine. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I know today's message was long, but I promise you it's truth. And I promise you, God's Word will change you if you apply it to His life, to your life. And I can promise you this, Jesus will change you if you'll give Him your heart. And so right where you're at, I don't know what you might be dealing with, I don't know what God may have said to you today, but if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, I want to encourage you to make that decision right now. Give Him your heart. You might say, well, Mike, how do you do that? It's simple enough that a child can do it. Simple enough that a senior adult can do it. It's simple enough that I could do it. And so it's, it's really, it's just a surrender. And if you want to pray this simple prayer, it's a simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, you pray it in your heart of hearts. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Just say, Jesus, I confess you that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I confess to you that I'm broken. I've lied. I've cheated. My heart is wicked. And so, Jesus, I want to ask you, if you will, will you forgive me? His answer is yes. Jesus, will you give me a new heart? His answer is yes. Jesus, will you save me? His answer is yes. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I put my faith in you. I want to quit living the way I've been living. That's repentance. And, Jesus, I want to, I want to live for you. You're turning to him. You're surrendering to him. You might say, Mike, that seems too easy. Getting saved is easy. Living saved is tough. Living daily, following Him. That's why we have to lean into Him. That's why we have to trust Him. That's why He puts the Holy Spirit within us. is to guide us, to comfort us, and to teach us. If you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ for salvation, if you don't mind, nobody's looking, I'm, I'm looking. If you just prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand. Just say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer to receive Christ. Anybody in the room, just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just asked Christ to come into my life. I gave my heart. I see your hand back there. I see your hand right here, bro. Awesome. You're his child. You're child of the king, bro. Woo! That's good stuff, ain't it? Child of the king. You've been accepted into his family. You're his child. You're in his family. This lady back over here raised her hand. She is a child of the king. She has been saved by the word of God and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody else? Man, I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Christ to enter my life. Anybody? That's good stuff. That's kingdom stuff. It's eternal stuff. I'm proud of you. Let me just say this. There's others in this room, many in this room, probably say, Mike, I'm already a Christian. But let me ask you this. Are you living as a child of the King? Is there an area of your life that God has convicted you of today that maybe you've been known as a liar? Maybe you're a gossip. Maybe you spread rumors. Maybe you're always slandering and attacking people's character. You just need to confess that and say, God, forgive me. Maybe you don't give. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're one of those who you, you covet what everybody else has got. And you're not giving so that others can be blessed. Maybe you say, God, I want to ask you to forgive me today. Whatever it might be, here's what I want you to know. He loves you, and He will forgive you. If you'll confess your sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive you of all unrighteousness. And He'll put you on a path that leads to life change and leads to you being a blessing in the lives of others. Father, I thank You for today. God, I thank You for these two who have put their faith in You for salvation. God, I thank You for the power of the gospel. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the truth. God, I thank You that You care about us. You care about how we live. You care about how we talk. God, you care about how we live and, and little Father, whether or not we want what others have. God, give us a desire to want you, to want your word, to want your truth in our life. And God, that we would want to live for you. 
God, I pray that if we know anybody that is far from you today, you'd give us a passion to reach them with the same message you've reached us with, the gospel. God, help us to be a church who gives and blesses our community every chance we can. But God, more than anything, help us to be a church that lives out the gospel in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.